seats and turn the good book or good computer or good cell phone to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me, though you were concerned before, but lacked opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for whatever circumstance I am in, I have learned to be content. I know what it is to live with humble means. I know what it is to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment, both to be filled and to go hungry, to have abundance and to suffer need. I can do all things through Messiah, who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share in my trouble. Now you Philippians also know that in the beginning of the good news, when I left Macedonia, not a single community partnered with me in giving and receiving, except you alone. For even in Thessalonia, you said something for my need more than once. Not that I am looking for a gift, but for fruit that overflows to your credit. But I have received everything and have more than enough. I am amply supplied, having received from, hang on, Epaphroditus, what you need, what you need, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. My God will fulfill every need of yours according to the riches of his glory and the sign of the Thank you for that very dramatic reading, kind of. I'd like to ask prayer for the grants, particularly for Linda Grant, our worship leader, uh, who is not here today, obviously. Um, she is sick. They came back from England um, with a serious case of jet lagitis. And, uh, and so, unfortunately, part of the picture uh, was the fact that uh, Linda James also, excuse me,
hidden because if you drive and, uh, and use it, you will get slapped with a $615 fine. Canadian, however, uh, it's still uh, not nice. Jewish judge who came in uh, with his wife and then 
at the same time. Shortly after that, some guy came off the street, totally insane, um, and lunged at, at, this, at, at, the, at the preacher, Jonathan is his name, and started beating up on him. And so the judge and his wife saw that and they said, we're out of here. And I, I came up to Jonathan afterwards and I thanked him for sharing that. Because, strangely enough, it was encouraging to me. I know I have a sick sense of humor. Uh, because, the reality, folks, we all go through stuff, right? Somehow, 
a bunch of them came to know the Lord, including guys who came from Nero's household. And so Paul, uh, after about 30 years of ministry, is looking at them and saying to them, you know, I deal with reality, I deal with facts on the ground. However, my greater reality is the presence of God. And that is why he starts out this passage by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. In fact, the, the word for rejoice or joy appears a whole bunch of times in this book, in this letter. Again, remember the context. In prison, as an old man waiting for his trial. And he says to them, rejoice. In fact, as you read this letter, especially this chapter, you kind of get the impression almost, and forgive me if I'm going over the top of this, but kind of get the impression that it is positive thinking on steroids. You know, Paul is making some very strong statements to these Philippians, who, by the way, were also under the gun because their community was in opposition to the good news of Yeshua, to them in particular. Um, so he says, he models for them, he models for them um, how a person should live under stress, which I think we, to some extent, can relate to that. I guess I'm the only one under stress. He models to them the fact that yeah, you deal with it, but what defines life is the presence of God and the fact that we are connected with Him and that all this good stuff flows to us from God. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Um, and then he goes on, this is by the way, it's real mushy. I don't know if you if you get the emotional tone of this of this section. Uh, Paul is saying to them, "You guys are rainy day friends." I don't know if you understand the, the the metaphor, but rainy day friends are people who are there when it rains or when it storms, versus the sunshine friends who are there as soon as it starts raining and disappear. He says to them, "You guys were there for me." all the time. And you sent, Shkali, you sent whatever the currency was at the time. Um, even when I was in Thessalonica, now just to give you a bit of a um, background here, Paul was in, in Philippi, the city, for about three weeks, and he had to hightail it out of there to go to Thessalonica, which was about a hundred miles away. And these guys who were brand new believers, baby believers, sent funds to help him, knowing that he would, that their spiritual daddy was under the gun. Again, recognize the fact that we're looking at a hundred miles, which meant you didn't get in your, your Learjet or your car and drove uh, but you had typically to walk or ride a donkey. And so the Philippians 
reflected their generous heart of God. They were faithful. They were consistent. And so Paul is saying to them, you know, I, I sure appreciate you. And at least for me, it's a simple reminder that even someone as incredibly strong, dynamic, uh, a guy who seemed like nothing would face him. You know, if you remember, uh, in one passage he talks about all the things he'd been through. He had been beaten five times in the synagogue. Uh, he had been beaten by the Romans. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned, etc., etc. And yet, he, he says, no big deal. Yeah. Momentary light afflictions. <laughs> and, and yet, a guy like, like Paul recognized that he needed help and support and as we'll see in a, moment, in a moment, not just financial help, but the emotional and spiritual help that came, came along with that. He needed compadres. And in Tishwatsion, we're blessed to have some faithful compadres. Tishwatsion uh, has been going for 29 years. And uh, why are we here? Well, we're here because God has brought some faithful people. That's right. uh, the Grants, the Sims, Michael, uh, David, and uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. They'll kill me afterwards. Chris, yes. As we say in Hebrew, the message of subtle and elephants. Uh, and so God has brought folks to the Yeshua who are faithful. And every so often I step back and I look and I see what's, what's been taking shape and I realize it's not about me. A, it's first of all about God. And B, it's about the faithful people that God has brought. I'm just in awe. So, Paul expresses his gratitude to the Philippians. Big, big, big thank you. And so, what, what he says here is, he wants to make sure that they understand he's not fetching, he's not complaining. Uh, he says, I have everything that I need in full and abundant measure. That's kind of like expressing over and over. Um, in other words, the Philippians were not miserly. They, they didn't say, oh yeah, we need to give you a little bit. Here you go. They came and they gave. And that was part of, of who they are. Uh, in fact, in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, Paul brags about them to the Corinthians, who, by the way, were not exactly faithful. I'm not going to send it right now. Um, he says, uh, he brags about the, the, the Corinthians. He says, you probably have heard 
about the Macedonians, which included the Philippines, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, wealth and rich generosity. You kind of say, what? Uh, what he simply means is that some of them had money, but a lot of them didn't. And they gave, and they gave, and they gave, and they gave, and they gave. He makes it real clear that it was the grace of God. In other words, God gave them special ability to do that. Uh, they gave sacrificially. Let me hasten to point out here that the way they gave is not normal. Right, before you throw something at me, let me hasten to explain. Uh, God does not expect us to give sacrificially. Rather, He expects us to give from what He has given us. That when we give sacrificially, it is because God has given us a special heart to be able to do that. But what is normal, normative, is for us to give to give generously from what has been given to us. And this is, by the way, something I am absolutely delighted to see over the to have seen over the years that we have a generous congregation. We rarely talk about money. We certainly don't do the bit of uh, we're going to lock the doors and uh, everybody's going to give a thousand bucks and until you do, no one is getting out of your routine. I think you may have heard of that kind of shit. Uh, but God has put that on people's hearts here in our congregation. I know that. I know that when special speakers come, they they, they express their appreciation uh, to how generous our folks are. And what we'll see in just a moment, our generosity, folks, doesn't only impact other people. It impacts God. You say, how does that do? How does our generosity impact God? In verse 18, Paul says, The gifts you sent are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. You say, what? Well, think about it. Um, what is the most powerful sense of smell, the most powerful sense that we have? The sense of smell. You know, you, you, you go up, up and down an elevator, and you smell something, and it's, Reminds you of your childhood or something, you know. Um, and this is, by the way, what Paul is saying here. Remember that Paul is a Torah observant Jew. What he's saying comes from the Torah. Um, Leviticus 22, verse 21 when anyone brings from the herd or the flock a fellowship offering to the Lord or peace offering, to fulfill a special vow or free will offering, um, it is to be an acceptable offering to God. And then Leviticus chapter 4, verse 31, he shall remove all the fat. I know this is getting kind of biological here. Um, and the priest shall burn it on the altar as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Uh, I won't ask you to pronounce that. 
So, what the sacrifices, and by the way, I'm quoting just a couple of verses there, a bunch more. When the Israelites were, uh, would bring offerings to God out of a heart that was generous, then it came up, and as far as God was concerned, it was like sweet smelling um, incense. She doesn't make a particle of sense to us because this is burning flesh, but it conveyed to God the attitude of the people who were eager to serve Him, eager to give from what He has given. So this is what Paul is saying. You Philippians, the gifts that you sent me were generous and they touched me profoundly. But they touched God profoundly. By the way, um, you notice that Paul doesn't have to spend oodles and oodles of airtime talking about giving to the Philippians. He does to the Corinthians, uh, who are definitely not what uh, Paul would call reigning the Israelites. But the Philippians, he didn't need to tell them. It was something just that God had put in their heart. And then Paul goes on to model for them how he lives his life. And he says to them, in all situations, I've learned to be content. When I have plenty, or when I have little. By the way, you might remember that Paul was a tent maker. There were times when Paul had lots of money, believe it or not. Uh, Acts 21, he provided money for four men to go to the temple and complete their, their vows and sacrifices. There were other times when he was not. So Paul is saying, I've learned to be sufficient. Doesn't mean that I'm self-sufficient by myself, but I've learned to be content in good times and difficult times. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me the strength. Hugely important for us to grab our arms around the fact that when Paul says, I've learned to be content, he's not trumpeting himself and saying, look at me. I can, I can exist and I can do all kinds of things. No, what he's saying is, I'm able to be content. Why? Because Yeshua, my Messiah, enables me to be strong in all kinds of situations. And by the way, what Paul was saying was something that lots of other people were saying to a point. There were Greek philosophers, the Stoics, who talked about being self-sufficient. And there are people today, especially the the, those people who come from uh, Eastern mysticism who talk about being sufficient um, 
So for Paul, it was, yes, I'm sufficient, but why am I sufficient? I'm sufficient because of Messiah who is with me. I've learned to be content in all things. I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. Again, remember the circumstances. This guy is in prison. He's waiting for trial. As far as he's concerned, when he's brought before the emperor, they can decide to chop his head off or not. As it turned out, Paul was released after a couple of years. So when when he says, I can do all things, this is not a bunch of empty bravado. You know, I'm cool, look at me. This is a guy who is very much connected to his Messiah and knows that in all circumstances, good, bad, or ugly, he's able to be strong. Then he makes this statement. I want to park here for a few minutes. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. So, Jewish response on one hand and the other hand. On one hand, it's fairly, fairly clear. Uh, God has infinite resources. Uh, he has certainly proven that to us at Yeshua Zion. Over the years, we have, we've had our needs met. We've been in black. Uh, and more than that, we've been able to give. Uh, and I believe that the fact that we tithe, we as a congregation, give 10% to support the work of the kingdom elsewhere is a sweet smell incense in God's nostrils. Because we are reflecting the fact that he is generous, and because of that we want to be generous, and because of that I convince folks God has met our needs. Amen. So God has infinite resources. He certainly is able to meet our needs. But does he do that always? And is, is he always obligated to meet our needs? My response to that is no. Because remember a couple of things. God's provision for us doesn't come in a vacuum. It comes based on our relationship with Him. If we are totally disinterested in His business, do you think He's going to make it His business to take care of ours? No. Here's what Yeshua has to say about that. In the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about don't be anxious. He repeats that over and over and over again. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And then he concludes, this is Matthew 6, he concludes it by saying, first seek God's kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. In other words, there's a causal relationship 
between our putting God's business on the screen, center stage, and then having the confidence that as we do that, that God will see to it that our needs are met. All these things will be added to us as we seek His kingdom and His righteousness. I say that because I hear people quoting this verse. It's a wonderful, it's a powerful verse. Ignoring the fact that there is, in a sense, a catch. There is a, a caveat, a condition that yes, God is willing to be committed to us, but to some extent, He's committed to us as we're committed to Him. Amen. Now, let me hasten to say, the love of God is unconditional, but His blessings sometimes are conditional depending on how we respond to Him. And unfortunately, this culture we have the attitude that says, God, here I am. You're obligated to do everything for me. And the answer is no. Remember that the Philippians were generous people. And so because of that, Paul says to them, knowing who you guys are, knowing the fact that God, that you please God, knowing that, our God will supply needs for it. Not miserly, because the Lord loves a generous giver. And it's the same thing, what Yeshua said. So no one does God expect perfection. Absolutely not. There are times when we really don't want to give generously. By the way, this is not a plea for, for money here. There are times we don't want to give generously. Either our time, our energy, our money, our resources of one kind or another. Oh, lots of reasons. You know, perhaps we get burned out. Someone hurt us and, and we get kind of sour. And we get perhaps bitter. And we're not willing to deal with that. And what the Lord will do, I believe, is He will limit the tap, what comes out of the tap, until stuff gets dealt with in our life. And remember, folks, the Lord is very persistent. He's very faithful. If there's yuck in our life that we are not willing to consider, we're not willing to, to address, the Lord will tap on our shoulders to get our attention. Until we find this okay, Lord. I get it. Um, I get it. And I want things to be done your way. And then at that point, we have the confidence to say, okay, Lord, I've given you the run of my house. I've given you the keys to my car. Uh, all the closets with all the spiders are open to you. You can come do the cleaning. I want to be clean with you and clean with others. That, folks, is part of what Yeshua means when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And in that kind of a situation, we have the confidence knowing 
that our Heavenly Father knows us, knows our need, and will provide. So, I don't know where this finds you in the congregation of ours in the given Shabbat. We have people with different life circumstances. God knows you. God knows you. And so let me just urge you to take Yeshua's words at face value and say, Lord, I want to seek first your kingdom, your righteousness. Simply, not because I'm going to seek your kingdom and your righteousness and I expect all kinds of goodies to come from but simply out of a heart of love, generous heart for God, you want to say that. And perhaps you're listening to me and you have absolutely no clue what I'm talking about, which is possible. Let me simply urge you today before you leave to say, you know, I want to have that experience with God. I want to have that relationship with God. And to that I would say, the Lord is there and He's waiting for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for your amazing love and patience for us. Thank you, Lord God, that you know us inside and out in our thoughts before we even think those thoughts. Lord God, we uh, thank you that you know our attitudes and you know us when our attitudes are not generous but miserly. Lord, we want to be open-hearted open palmed to be generous with God as you are. I pray with God for each one of us. You know where this finds us. We simply pray that your Ruach, your Spirit would touch our hearts and cause us to hear your word as it applies specifically in different areas and that you will give us the grace, the ability to respond unconditionally and say, of course, God, you're right. Pray, O God, for cleansing, redemption, healing, restoration. And, O God, we pray for abundance in our life, beginning in our relationship with you and with each other. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen.